0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Stuart and Jill have uh, been ministering for a long time and uh, over 40 years of ministry, I think he said. They've been to over 100 countries speaking, written over 40 books. And uh, But you know what delights me the most about Stuart? He opens the Word of God. He teaches it and applies it to our lives and he's 82 years old still doing it. So would you give a warm TBC welcome to my dear friend, Stuart Briscoe.
1: Thank you very much, and good morning to you. I think I'm going to start that again. Thank you very much, and good morning to you. Only needs a little encouragement It's a great joy to be here today I thank you for the privilege of ministering in your midst And thank you, Gary, for vacating your pulpit And letting me occupy it for a little time this morning When I say a little time, I mean a preacher's little time that seems to be an interminable amount of time to everybody who's listening. But I trust that what we have to say this morning uh, will be an encouragement to you. Those of you who uh, have come up through the church uh, from your earliest days will no doubt have had uh, very, very interesting Sunday school experiences. And I have a lot of sympathy for the little boy who, sitting in Sunday school one day, listened with great attention to his teacher. And she said, today, children, I'm going to tell you a story about a beautiful little furry thing. It has a big bushy tail, and it scampers across the grass, and it runs up trees and along branches, and it collects nuts and it puts them in its mouth until its mouth is bulging with all these nuts. And it takes the nuts out and it puts them in a secret place until in the cold, dark days of winter it is able to go and get these nuts out and eat them again. Now, children, what do you think I'm talking about? The little boy puts up his hand and he said, well, I know the answer is Jesus. But it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. (laughs) Uh, The little little boy is being introduced to disconnect. Uh, The sort of disconnect that becomes rather normative as time goes on. The disconnect between what we know and what we're supposed to know and what we're supposed to say about what we know But what we often experience, disconnect. (laughs) I I, I saw a fascinating example of this when, on one occasion, I was doing one of my least favorite things to do. As an author, uh, our publishers occasionally press gangers into doing book signings in bookstores. My experience of book signings in bookstores is that I spend quite a lot of time sitting in a bookstore at a table with a pile of my latest books, waiting for somebody to come and ask me to sign it, which very, very rarely happens. (laughs) That's why it's one of my least favorite things uh, to do. I, I was doing that in a bookstore in New England not too long ago, And uh, the the normal thing was happening. I was sitting there with a beautiful pile of my latest book, Holiness Without the Halo. And um, then a lady came in with three little uh, girls. And uh, the lady was busy doing whatever she'd come in to do, and the little girls were at a loose end, and they were wandering around the bookstore, and they came across this nice old gentleman sitting at a table with a pile of books there, all on his own. And they circled me at a very safe distance, and uh, and then sort of stood looking at me, I think feeling a little sorry for me. (laughs) And so I engaged them in conversation. I said, I've written a book. Oh. And I said, it's called Holiness Without the Halo. Oh. And I I, I just wondered if, if you had heard about holiness. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question then. If you could choose... Between being happy and being healthy and being holy, which would you choose? And two of them immediately became fascinated with their shoes. (laughs) And the third one put up her hand rather tentatively and gave a priceless answer. She said, I know the answer is supposed to be, I'd like to be holy. But actually, I really want to be happy. And I said, thank you. Thank you for that answer. It is so honest. It's so delightfully honest. And sisters and brothers, let me tell you something. A lot of grown-ups, if they were as honest as kids in their innocency, would say the same thing. The Church of Jesus Christ knows a whole lot about holy. It talks a whole lot about holy. It sings even more about holy, but it's not too into it when push comes to shove why is that well i think that's worth exploring for one very for very very obvious reasons you cannot read the bible without discovering that it is a dominant theme from beginning to end and yet, strangely it is something about which we are rather nervous We're not too sure we understand it. We have images of it and visions of it that are singularly unattractive. And so we just as soon leave it alone. I'd like us to look into it this morning. Let me read to you from Peter's first epistle, just a few verses. Starting with chapter 1 and verse 1. This uh, this letter starts out in the traditional form that was used in the first century in the Middle Eastern countries. First of all, the author of the letter introduces himself and gives his credentials. So, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And secondly, he then describes the people to whom he is writing. So, to God's elect... Strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. That's who he's writing to. We'll look into that in just a minute. Then the traditional greetings. The Greeks, if they greeted each other, would say grace to you. The Hebrews, if they greeted each other, would say shalom, peace, Be yours. And so he combines the two and invests them with spiritual meaning. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Then the next thing they do in writing a letter is they give praise to the gods. Well, he doesn't give praise to the gods, but he does give praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then typical preacher, he takes off on that idea and finishes up with a nice little sermon. Preachers never miss an opportunity. And then after he has said that, then he gets into the crux of the letter. Verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Listen to this. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, incidentally, now he's quoting the Old Testament, and he could have gone to any number of places for this quotation. For it is written, quote, be holy because I am holy it's an inescapable facet of Christian teaching you cannot get around the topic of holiness alright so let's unpack it if we can it's always a good idea when we talk on a topic to define what we're talking about when our um, eldest son who uh, is now I think 53, something like that when he was a little boy my mother said to me on one occasion uh, my my wife said to me on one occasion (laughs) that's an interesting Freudian slip we won't won't examine that right now (laughs) as I was saying um, when our eldest son was a little boy, my wife said to me on one occasion, David needs an x-ray on Sunday morning uh, on uh, Monday morning. Would you mind taking him to the hospital? I said, sure. This was the previous Friday. She said, tell him now so he won't go to school. So I said, Dave, uh, don't go to school on Monday morning. I need to take you to the hospital for an x-ray. He didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I forgot about it. My wife... Slash mother reminded me, <laughs> reminded me on the Monday morning, don't forget to take David to the hospital. So I put the boy in the car, we're driving to the hospital. He's looking rather uh, white and very, very nervous about this. So I said to him, Dave, you're not worried about this, are you? He said, Of course I'm worried. I said, Dave, there's nothing to worry about. He said, Don't tell me there's nothing to worry about. So I know what an execution is. <laughs> can, you, can you believe it? He'd showed up. He'd sat around all weekend waiting for his execution. I had said x-ray. He had heard execution. Never ever think, never ever s- assume that people hear what you say. (laughs) Public speaking, that's a golden rule. Never assume that people hear what you say. Which means that we've got to make it as difficult as possible for people to misunderstand what we're talking about. And how do you do that? By definition and by illustration. By definition... And illustration. All right? I'm going to define holiness for you, or holy. Now, the idea of holiness in the New Testament that Peter is bringing before our attention here clearly is rooted in his understanding of holiness in the Old Testament. You cannot understand New Testament holiness without having a working knowledge. Of what it meant in Old Testament times. In the history of Israel. In God's dealings with Israel. And Israel's dealings with God. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament for holy is derived from the verb to cut. There's the the key. The Hebrew word for holy is derived from the Hebrew verb to cut. All right. Illustration coming up. You are preparing supper. You are running late. You are going to have salad. You are chopping up the ingredients. The phone rings. You are momentarily distracted. You nick your finger, but you rush over to the phone. You pick it up. You deal with the phone call. You reverse, re, put the phone back on its hook, and you say, "Now what was I doing? Oh yes, uh, I was doing the salad." And then you think, oh, I nicked my finger. And then you look at the salad, and you say, that's odd. And as you look at the ingredients of the salad, all kinds of very colorful ingredients, there's one little item that you have not noticed before. And then you remember you nicked your finger, and you look at your finger, (laughs) and you realize you have cut your finger. And because you have cut your finger, part of your finger is no longer attached to the rest of your finger. In fact, it is separate. In fact, you could say it is set apart. In fact, you could think to yourself that is totally distinct. In fact, if you want to use the vernacular, you can say, wow, that is something else. (laughs) Cut, separate, set apart, wholly distinct, something else. What have I just done? I've defined holy. I've defined holy for you. Be separate, be set apart, be wholly distinct, be something else. Why? Because God is separate, set apart, wholly distinct, something else. So, God in addition has called you to be set apart, to be separate, to be wholly distinct, to be something else. So be set apart, wholly distinct, something else in all that you do. For that is what you are called to. Now, how in the world can we get around that? (laughs) How can we treat that with benign neglect? That's the challenge. Now, some people say, well, just a minute, that doesn't sound like my understanding of holy. My understanding of holy is that it has to do with moral integrity, it, it has to do with moral purity, and, and that sort of thing. All right? Well, let's look at the use of it in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they had, and this is where we have the basic understanding of holiness applied in the New Testament, okay? In the Old Testament, the Jewish people had a religious system that God had revealed to them through Moses. It had all kinds of rituals involved, including ritual sacrifices. The ritual sacrifices sometimes were as small as a dove or slightly larger, as large as a lamb, but sometimes they were whole oxen. Now, how do you lug those things around, particularly if you're a priest all dressed up in priestly garments? Well, they had special altars and they had special implements. And these special implements, pots and pans and rakes, etc., 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 were called holy unto the Lord. Just look like other pots and other pans. And rakes and forks, but they were holy unto the Lord. Which means, of course, that they were morally pure, that they never engaged in sin, and that they were ethically perfect. Right? No. There was nothing moral about them. There was nothing ethical about them. There was nothing sinful or sinless about them. That had absolutely nothing to do with their holiness. Their holiness was simply rooted in the fact that God had set them apart. That was the essence of holiness. Separate, distinct, holy other. Why? Because God said so. There's the basic idea of holy. Well, let's move on to the next question. Well, who should be holy? You say we, we need holy people. I mean, like the Pope. We've got a new Pope. And he sounds like a real holy man. He's a humble man. He washes people's feet. He drives on the bus. He doesn't use his limo. All kinds of stuff. He doesn't wear all that ornate stuff the Pope seem to like. Wow, he seems like a real cool guy, Argentinian, but you know, he can't help that. So that's that's how he goes. You see. That's that's how he goes. You see? Holy guys. And then we've got those guys, uh we have their icons where they look as if a good meal would kill them. Long, pale, emaciated faces with things like dinner plates behind their heads. And then we have the saints in stained glass windows. Yeah, we need our holy people. We need our holy Bible. <laughs> but but that's, that's not what he's talking about here. It is talking to some people. And it is telling them, be holy in all that you do. So we can find out an answer to who is it that is called to be holy. Well, Peter says right in the beginning, first verse of his epistle, They are God's elect. They're strangers in the world. They're scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. They have been involved in the sanctifying work of the Spirit. They understand obedience to Jesus Christ, and they've experienced sprinkling through his blood. That's who he's talking to. That's who he's talking to. Now, uh, what's all that about? All right, let's start at the easiest bit. They're scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, etc. Pontus, Galatia, they were all Roman provinces in the first century. I was in a lot of them just two weeks ago because they are all in what we now call Turkey. Turkey. Turkey, these were the regions that Paul and Peter and the other guys were evangelizing. One of the great ironies, one of the great tragedies, is that when you look at your New Testament, so much of it took place in what we now call Turkey. And Turkey is now 99% Islamic. And the Christians who are there are having a hard time. But not as hard as the Iranians who are next door we spent a week in Turkey just two or three weeks ago with people who were scattered because like these people that Peter is writing to, they were refugees. They were living in exile. They were escaping prison. This describes perfectly the people we were ministering to from Iran three weeks ago in Galatia. So it's easy to get the picture in our minds. He is writing to people who are believers and who because they're believers are being persecuted. And because they're being persecuted, they've fled for their lives. They've left their homelands. They are suffering for Christ. Why? Why? Well, because they have experienced the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That is the work of the Spirit of God that has set them apart by God for his purposes. What are his purposes? God's purposes are that he should have a people for himself. He chose that to happen. He determined that would happen. He's going to have a people for himself in Christ, drawn to him by love, responding in faith, who discover... Through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, they have been set apart by God for himself, chosen for his eternal purposes. And you can recognize them by two things. They understand what it is to be sprinkled through the blood of Christ. That means through the sacrifice of Jesus, they've had their sins forgiven. And as a result, they've entered into a lifestyle characterized by obedience to Jesus Christ. What are we talking about? Well, the short term for that is disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus. Just read, read all that again. And you'll find it just it's in a nutshell a description of discipleship. That's who he's writing to. And he says those are the people who have been called to holiness. So the obvious question now is, well, why? (laughs) Why? Why do I need to get into this holiness? Isn't it enough just to have my sins forgiven and the assurance of heaven and know that whatever happens to me, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes? And then can't I just get on and live like a, a, a normal Texan? Why, why did this, this holiness thing kick in? Something's going to spoil everything. Why? Well, that's a good question. The answer, of course, is here for us in the text. It's an excellent book on the subject, isn't it? The Bible. Particularly if you study it. Let me give you two reasons. Why... We should be holy. The first one is described in those opening verses. Well, no, we won't, we won't do that one first. Look, look at, uh, at lower down in chapter 1, in verse 15. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written... Be holy because I am. Be holy because I am. That could not be more straightforward. God says, I am holy. I have called you to myself. Through Jesus, through the work of the Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have known the electing grace of God the Father. You've known the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You've known the cleansing, redeeming work of the Son. You understand who I am. You understand what I'm doing. I have worked in you to make you something utterly unique. Why? Because I am utterly unique. Now this idea of God being holy first appears on the scene after God has intervened in the affairs of the children of Israel and has delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And he did it in a most remarkable way that involved over a million people, we estimate, being brought out of captivity in one night, brought through the sea, the Red Sea, chased by an Egyptian army which is defeated by divine intervention so that the million people go scot-free into the wilderness en route to the land of promise. And they are so excited that they've been freed and they are so excited that the Egyptians have been destroyed that they write a song and they start dancing and they start singing and they have a real whoop-de-boo celebration. And it is all recorded for us in Exodus chapter 15, including dear old Moses. Don't think of dear old Moses being involved in a big celebration. He didn't have all that much to celebrate. But actually, he wrote a special song for the event. And part of the song has words like this. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness. Awesome in glory. Working wonders. Now what's Moses' vision of God? He is something else. He is something else. He is utterly majestic in his something elseness, or if you like, holiness. He is utterly glorious. He strikes fear in my heart. He is overwhelmingly awesome. And he specializes in working wonders. You could never say to Moses, Moses, your God is too small. We could say that to many of us. We don't always think of a God who is majestic in holiness, who strikes fear in our hearts, who inspires awe, who leads us to obedience. We're too casual. We're too into God as a buddy, as a lover, as of things that rob him. Of who he is portrayed to be in the days of old. If we have a vision of God in his holiness, if we have a vision of God in his majesty, if we have a vision of God in his awesomeness, we will recognize immediately how utterly obscene it is for us to say we are called to be his representative. And he is like this, and we are not. But it's all right. He loves us unconditionally. That's not what it says. It says, be holy because I am. The second reason, of course, is be holy because I called you to be holy. Did did Jesus call you? Did God call you? That means did he invite you to enter into a relationship with him? And inviting you into a relationship with him, did you discover that the person you were now related to was the Lord? So to be invited into a relationship with the Lord assumes submission. To be invited into a relationship with the teacher assumes discipleship. Did you realize that it wasn't just a call to be saved so you could go to heaven when you die and live pretty normally now? Do you realize that when he called you, when you look very carefully into who it was called you into relationship with himself, uh, presupposes a very different lifestyle, and it's called holiness, distinct, set apart, something else. That's what we're called to. The third reason. There's a third reason, and it is this. When you look in the opening verses of First Peter chapter one, one of the th- one of the things that is descriptively used there, talking about the people to whom he's addressing the letter is they are sanctified by the spirit they're sanctified by the spirit, the word sanctified in the Greek is fundamentally the same word as holy and here we have the two uses of the word holy in scripture the first one says that through the action of God, people like real estate or pots and pans that God sets apart for himself, people like those objects, when they're set apart by God, by definition, are holy unto the Lord. It's a done deal. You are. That is why Paul, when he writes to Some of the people in the churches, like Corinth, he calls the people saints. Saints. Now, have you ever read the letter to the Corinthians? Do they look like saints? They sure don't. That doesn't alter the fact they are saints. Why? Because God has called them to himself, and in so doing, he's made them something else. Sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, living in obedience to Jesus, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, they're saints. And the word saint and the word sanctified and the word holy are all the same word. So the first use of the term holy, as far as you and I are concerned, is this. If you've come into a relationship with Jesus, you are holy in the sense you have been set apart. Now the second sense of it is, therefore be holy. In other words be what you became. Be what you became. I got married 54 years ago. Stood at the front of the church said a whole lot of things. The Preacher said a whole lot of things to my wife. She answered. Well she wasn't my wife but she was about to be. Then the uh, His voice went down an octave. He grew three inches before my very eyes. And he said, in the authority invested in me, in somebody or other, I pronounce you husband and wife. And I went cold all over. (laughs) Because I realized I'd become a husband and had not a simple idea how to be one. Fortunately, God in his grace... I brought a woman into my life whom we first sent to Cambridge University to learn to be a teacher. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know for the last 54 years, I have been in a personal tutorial daily, <laughs> led by a Cambridge-trained teacher. And we only have one topic, how to be what you became. How to be what you became. What I became fifty four years ago was a husband. What I'm learning is how to be. What I became the fact that at times I don't behave like a husband does not mean I'm no longer a husband. The fact I don't believe behave as if I'm holy does not alter the fact I'm set apart. What it does mean is this Briscoe It's about time you got around to learning to be what you became. It's called learning to be holy because he who called you is holy and he made you holy. Now get on with it and live like it. Now there's a lot more to say about it and I don't have time to say it right now because my time is up. If you're interested in reading more... That is basically the first chapter of my book, Holiness Without the Halo. And if you're interested, we've got some out on the table outside. And if you're not interested, it just means they'll still be on the table.
0: Wow. I don't think you'll think in holiness the same way again, will you? I mean, to see what God has done the way that Stuart would you uh, would you mind going out to the table and that way you get a head start and our folks will be out there. They'd love to. There you go. 82 years old. That's remarkable. You know, you can see why uh, he's one of my favorite expositors. We just love having him here. Jill comes. Linda Strom is one of the ladies in our church who goes into prison all the time. Has a ministry. She and Jill are very best friends. And Stuart. Ask if he can tag along. And, uh, he said, can you, can we use him? And I'm saying, man, just show up any Sunday. We'll use you. We'll put you to work. No problem. But holiness, being set apart, being distinctive, being something else, never think of it the same way. Hopefully you'll apply it. Father, that's our desire to be men and women who live the life that we've called to be. Help us to be who we are. Help us to look like you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.